Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about corn rootworms, but we are also going to get to hopefully a lot of your questions today. If you've got a question for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about happening on your farm right now, got any questions going into the spring of 2022 here, just give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Okay, so we'll get to corn rootworms here in just a little bit, but right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! Got a question, and it's an interesting question that came in from Alex. And Alex said, I was wondering if you've ever hosted a podcast or TV show where you talked about gluten in winter wheat production. I'm involved in a program where we're trying to get higher gluten percentages, particularly above 34% wet gluten. There's not much information about gluten as it's not a priority for most wheat producers here in Kansas. Many people suggest that gluten content follows protein. However, that's not always accurate. We'll be doing plant tissue samples before and after we put 28% UAN top dress on to see what micronutrients we may be lacking. Just wondering, are there any key micros that you know of to look at when we're going for higher gluten? Uh, okay, Alex, first of all, I agree with you. Uh, gluten isn't always going to go up with protein. A lot of times we do think of it that way, though. I hear a lot of people talk about, hey, higher protein often means higher gluten. Um, and I, I think about this, though. What nutrients do we know make a big impact on protein? Well, certainly nitrogen, and you're addressing that with your UAN top dress. The other one is sulfur. That's a secondary nutrient. Having sulfur available is certainly helpful for building protein levels. When we think about micronutrients, it's often manganese and zinc that are looked at. But I'll say this. On our farm, we've seen the best results when we get a balance with all the nutrients out there. So if we just load up on manganese and we're way short on something like boron, we, we run into trouble. And what you're going to see in wheat if you're short of boron is the when you're looking at the head of wheat, the kernels at the bottom of that head will shrivel up if you're short of boron. So do watch for that too. We don't want to lose yield also. But as you're going for protein, certainly nitrogen, sulfur, manganese, and zinc would be my targets for nutrients that I'd make sure that I don't run short on. Anything you'd think of there, Brian, that you'd want to add to that discussion? I know we haven't ever really looked at nope, the gluten content know. in our small grains that we've raised over the years. Nope, I don't know. I don't have an answer. No, that's it's a really interesting topic and, and question. And Alex, as you, as you gain some more info, uh, we'd, we'd sure be interested in it. If you wanted to share any of those tissue tests or what you're doing, uh, we can certainly help get the word out on that as well. Uh, Brian, we're talking about corn rootworms today, and we get lots of questions like this one from Joe in Iowa. And he said, what is your threshold where you would say, I can get by with a double pro hybrid, and when do you say, I've got to go smart stacks? I know insecticide can certainly help, but we've seen pretty nice gains going with the smart stack in terms of reducing rootworm problems out in fields. Uh, what What's your opinion on that? Is it always a first-year corn thing, or is something else your rule of thumb? Well, that's an excellent question. Yeah, I would just say I'm looking an awful lot at what I have at risk. So, for example, this year we have a lot at risk because I think we're going to – we're set up for really good yields because we fertilized well. We have some soil moisture, enough soil moisture, and the crop price is so good. So 
I'm not willing to take very many chances this year because I don't want to screw up what could potentially be our biggest gross income year ever. So that's one of the things. Another thing is just how well do the smart stacks corns perform versus the VT doubles? Because for a while there, the smart stacks were yielding 10 to 20 bushels less. Well, I'd have to have a lot of rootworm just to make up for that. Plus, I mean, let's face it, in order for you to gain going to smart stacks, you have to pick up yield. You can't be down on yield or even flat. You got to gain yield. So, I look at it that way and I say, ah, I don't know. Um, do I really want to go smart stacks? Well, now some of the varieties are a lot better. So I, I would just say today, if it's corn on corn, we're for sure going smart stacks or recommending that. You want double trait out there because we've had single trait resistance in our area. In fact, the first single trait resistance that was actually technically proven was in the very section that we do our radio show. So it, it was about a half mile north of where I'm sitting right now, and it was one of our neighbors, and the corn went over, and it was two different varieties, and, and it took three years for the USDA and South Dakota State and whoever else they were working with to prove, oh, yeah, it indeed was resistance. So anyway, where I'm going with all this is I just say you got to do insecticide or smart stacks. There's no possible chance in planting corn any time ever without one or the other. In terms of how high you want to go on the rate of the insecticide or which product you're going to pick, you could go lower rate. You can go cheaper. If you say, ah, I just, I don't, I'm not too worried about that issue, but I, you really need to use insecticide in, in my opinion, all cases for corn. But, you know, I, I, that's you, you ask the question, what's my trigger? There you go. And, and that insecticide, we're talking about something like an Aztec or a Force or a Capture, not just more neonic on your seed treatment. Because uh, I, I understand that is, quote unquote, more insecticide. But like we often talk about, we really want something that's effective and we want to do a great job if we're going to spend the money. We just haven't seen great rootworm control. Now think about where that's at. That's right on the seed. And as moisture comes, yep, a lot of it could get taken up by the seed, but also it's going to be protecting just really close to where the seed's at. Well, the root system, the nodal roots come out above that seed. So if we've got some protection in the furrow or in a T-band or, you know, depending on which product you're using, you just got a better chance of protecting more of that root system. Hey, we'll talk more about corn rootworms and the root systems on corn plants as our show continues because that's our main topic today corn rootworms we're also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD and you can always email us radio at agphd.com well last year was certainly a big year for corn rootworms in the upper midwest we'll talk about how to deal with that coming up right after this What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, it means getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting experts who will work with you to create a program unique to your operation, all while accounting for the quality of your soil and the products you're already using. It's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies 
And not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact eMERGE planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Are you worried about nitrogen loss this spring? Well, we asked retailers what they thought about Instinct NextGen Nitrogen Stabilizer from Corteva AgriScience. What they said was so inspiring, we got an actor to reenact it. <clears throat> it's a great return on investment. A great return. Investment, investment. Great return. All right, I think I'm ready to record. It's that simple. Instinct NextGen is a great return on investment because it protects your nitrogen. Learn more at protectnitrogen.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for tuning in today. We're going to be talking about corn rootworms on the show and also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Last year was a big corn rootworm year for, for many growers. A lot of farmers were maybe surprised seeing how much damage there was out in fields. So certainly top of mind this year is managing corn rootworm on those corn acres. Happy to have Sammy Bratner with us right now with the Calabasco over in Wisconsin. Sammy, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. I want to start with the new thing first, SmartStacks Pro. I'm sure you're getting lots of questions. Wow. I hear about SmartStacks Pro. I'm really excited about it. Uh, I'm going to be able to see a little bit of it out in my area in a lot of places. Is this something growers should be looking at? What's different about SmartStacks Pro and what have you seen so far? You know, SmartStacks Pro is is pretty darn cool, let me just say. I mean, it's, it really is the next generation um, of that corn rootworm protection. And the one thing that we've really done with SmartStacks Pro is that we've built on top of our proven benefits really from the SmartStacks technology program as a whole. So we're still utilizing those BT traits that, we're, that we've grown to know and love from the SmartStacks technology. But now we're adding in this unique RNAi-based mode of action that the corn rootworm has never seen before. So it's a brand new mode of action and really excited to get out in the field um, and help help farmers trying to combat against this corn rootworm issue. I love when you throw new terminology out there, R-N-A-I, and farmers are like, what is that? Because we're used to BT proteins. Right. What's different about the R-N-A-I? Yep. So where the BT protein, you know, is more of a protein-based, our RNAi technology is actually going to be targeting in more on an mRNA. So it's going to tell that corn rootworm larva it no needs to no more it no longer needs to produce a specific protein that it needs for survival. And once it quits producing that protein, that corn rootworm larva is going to die. So it's it's pretty pretty exciting to have this out, out in the farms. 
Yeah, it is certainly exciting because we've heard talk of resistance to certain BT traits in in different parts of the country, and uh, growers are nervous about that because they've seen resistance to herbicides and other things out there. So uh, this is something brand new. And, you know, we look at a year like 2022 where there's so much at risk, there's such high prices, and farmers are, are a little bit nervous. They're excited, but a little bit nervous. And certainly rootworms one of those things that we're nervous about taking away some of that income that we could potentially make on the farm. How much SmartStacks Pro oh, will be out there this year and, and where is it going to be available? Yep. So for Wisconsin alone, we will have 107 day available um, for the 2022 growing season. Now it is going to be a limited launch here in this first year. So really getting it more of that trial base out and about, um, really targeting that, you know, moderate to heavier pressure areas. As we move into 2023, we're going to see a little bit larger of a launch rolling out. Um, and we'll have, uh, for Wisconsin anyway, 103, 105, and 107-day product. And if you sneak into that 111-day, we may sounds like we're going to have something there for you as well. That's pretty cool. Just talking to some of the breeders at Bayer about the trait and, and about getting new hybrids developed. They've got a ton of stuff that they're looking at this summer, and I'm sure you're going to get to see quite a bit of that and, and make some choices as to which ones might work the best Absolutely. in your area. You know, when you talk about the, the maturity range, uh, it, it sounds like there's a lot of stuff even down into the, the 90 to 100 day maturity and and all the way up as, as late as you want to go. And that's one thing that farmers are always curious about. Will there be a lot of material coming? And it sounds like, as you mentioned, 2023 is our year for that. That absolutely is. And the nice part is, so this, this growing season in 2022, uh, we will have products of the, you know, what I, I mentioned, the 101, 107 in our set, um, our set sets spread out across the state. So everybody's going to get an opportunity if they wish to reach out to their local DeKalb Asgro dealer to go see some of these products firsthand. Uh, we would definitely love to take any tours out for these guys. Yeah, it's definitely something to take a look at this year. Now, when you're trying to evaluate how these products are doing, is it root digs? Is it stock diameter? What are some of the things that you're looking at? Yeah, so if I'm looking at just, you know, the, the Smart Stacks Pro and wanting to compare, you know, the corn root, the efficacy um, of that RNAi and the BT proteins, I'm doing a lot of root digs. And anybody that has met me before, I, I love root digs. Maybe I'm a little odd in that way. But we're doing a lot of root digs. We're washing off the roots, and we're basically scoring those scoring those different nodes. And we were able to get a little taste of some of these uh, products last year, more in just some visual trials more than anything, just to look at that efficacy efficacy of those differences and the differences that we saw in the feeding were, were very impressive so I mean it definitely slowed down um, the feeding of the corn rootworm larva when you were looking at the smart stacks pro versus some of the other traits that are on the market today especially compared to the non-traded right absolutely yeah and, and 2022 or I'm sorry 2021 was such a great year because there was some pressure so we could actually see how these things were going to work and hopefully hopefully Sammy there is no rootworm pressure at all this year because I don't want to lose I one bushel so of too. yield. <laughs> but if there is, I mean, I hope uh, I'm talking about it every meeting, and then we don't have to worry about it by the yes. time we get to July, August. I, I sure hope so. Well, Sammy, you got a lot of work ahead of you this summer. Good luck to you. Thanks for sharing a little about SmartSex Pro today. Thank you so much. You bet. Let's head down to Nebraska. Here's another area where I know there's some corn rootworm challenges. Got Dylan Blythe with us right now with FMC. Dylan, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. 
You know, I think with almost any problem that we're going after, we always try to encourage growers, hey, take multiple stabs at this thing. And I love, Sammy was just on talking about Smart Sex Pro. I love these traits, but as Brian was saying earlier, man, we want the trait and we want some insecticide out there so we make sure we don't have resistance and we maximize yield. Talk to us a little bit about what FMC is working on for, for corn rootworms this summer. Yeah, so uh, FMC really promotes uh, to use multiple modes of action. So um, we we don't want to get away from that those BT corn traits or the new SmartStack uh, Pro. Uh, we want to kind of promote to kind of grow on top of that. So um, we have a couple of different products that can go in furrow, and then we also have a product that will go over the top of the foliar to kind of control that. Uh, so Capture LFR um, being a straight bifenthrin product uh, is a great um, uh, product that we can put Infro that can really help us uh, enable a position to uh, control those beetles uh, or the the worm should I should I say, um, and then Ethos XB adds that little extra bump um, to it as we can that product has bifenthrin plus Bacillus A in it, so we can add add the disease presence and still be able to control both insects and diseases. You know, one of the things that I think about, Dylan, is the secondary insects and cutworms, some of these other bugs that are out there in fields. As we reduce tillage, as we start using more cover crops, we have more bugs. And that puts a lot of pressure on guys when they say, well, I planted a smart stacks corn. Hey, that's an awesome idea for rootworm. And, yep, we've got some neonic on the seed treatment, and, and that's not a bad thing either. But we need a little extra help when we've got just tons of pressure out there with some of these secondary insects. Absolutely, absolutely. And capture really uh, adds that extra uh, stability in the soil for um, our hybrids. Um, you know, we, we look at hybrids as pushing yield. Um, and so if we can protect that seedling from day one, um, it's all the better as that plant gets grown out of the soil. And, you know, we, we're pushing our day lengths a little more. Um, so we, we tend to plant sooner. So that's really where added benefit to Ethos XB um, comes into play. You mentioned foliar and one last stab that we can take at corn rootworms, which some say it's kind of a revenge kill, but I'm all for stopping these things before they lay eggs and creating problems for my next crop. It's using something like steward post-emerge. You had a lot of guys doing that last year. What did you see? Absolutely. Um, you know, we, we've had some really great luck with Stuart. Uh, it's, it's the best product on the market when it comes to day length, the residual uh, mixed with uh, not hurting some of our beneficial bugs out there and still taking control of uh, corn rootworm beetles and keeping them out of the fields as long as we possibly can. Um, Stuart is uh, 21 days of residual at a 10 ounce use rate. And uh, we just couldn't ask for something better on our, our lineup. Yeah, when we look at corn rootworm, it's not a, hey, here's just one thing you have to do and it all goes away. I love it from Dylan Breith here at the FMC. We're talking about multiple steps and multiple modes of action. Dylan, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Thank you. Talking corn rootworms on today's Ag PhD radio show. Stay tuned. 
If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmall. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Come to the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event this summer. Here at Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support and encourage folks entering the ag industry. That's why we're devoting a full day, Saturday, June 25th, to the free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event. Though this day is geared towards high school and college students as well as young farmers, anyone with a desire to learn more about agronomy is more than welcome. Our hands-on sessions in the field will include a comprehensive guide to scouting, ways to improve soil and crop health, the role of natural microbes in farming, and how to best collect and manage on-farm data. Plus, we're giving away tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships to eligible attendees. So whether you're a college student or just want some good agronomy information, this is one event you won't want to miss. It's the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships Day, Saturday, June 25th on the Hefty Farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Learn more and register at agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Talking about corn rootworms on today's Ag PhD radio program. Also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD or you can email us radio at agphd.com. You know, corn rootworm pressure was certainly up last year, Brian, and we've got some corn on corn well, acres this year. And yep. that, that always gets, gets a guy concerned, hey, I have corn on corn, but I also look at these soybean acres where you've got volunteer corn. You kind of have corn on corn there, too. You've got a host for corn rootworms going into the next year. you got to wipe out the volunteer corn early, and in the corn on corn acres, you definitely got to address corn rootworm because it can be a, a problem that you just can't fix once you've got it. Once your seed's in the ground, you're done. That's your last shot to really get good protection. All right. What you said was rootworm pressure was up last year. 
Can we prove that? I don't know that we can. We just got a lot more people complaining about it. And I think the reason why is because it was a dry year. They didn't get as much potassium into the plant and the stalk wasn't as thick. So the corn blew over and then they started doing root digs realizing, oh, wow, I don't have any roots here. I had rootworm damage. That's what really caused the problem. Well, yes and no. Rootworm caused part of the problem. Another big part is you probably didn't have enough potassium in your soil. And then certainly if you would have gotten more moisture, you could have gotten more of that potassium in your soil into the plant. So it's many different factors. And then the other thing is how thick did you plant? A lot of times what we saw is people were just flat out planting too thick. And then obviously you can't get enough potassium into all the plants because you have so many plants. So you have thinner stalks and then stuff goes down. Where I'm going with this is this. Do you scout for corn rootworms on your on your farm? Almost no one I talk to does. We don't even scout for corn rootworms on our farm. The only way that you're going to recognize that you have corn rootworms on your farm is probably one of two things. One, if you're out scouting midsummer and you see a whole bunch of adult corn rootworm beetles flying around. Well, if they're flying around in your field, that tells you you had rootworms in your field earlier. They laid eggs, hatched, uh, or I, I should say the rootworm beetles will lay eggs. Those eggs hatch in the spring. They have the, the rootworms come out, the larvae. Then the larvae are going to feed for about a month, maybe a month and a half. Then they're going to pupate. They're going to become the adults. So it's a cycle, and there's typically only one generation per year. But anyway, my point here is if you see the adults, that means you had the larvae in your field. So that's one way you can scout. But the second way is if you have corn falling over later in the year, then that's typically where people say, oh boy, I get a problem, and then they start looking. Okay, This isn't, to Darren's point, this isn't a pest where you can scout and then spray. You have to treat, and then if you want to scout later, you certainly can. So how do you know what your pressure is going to be? It's really hard. We're working with a company right now that that believes with their soil testing and analytics and everything else, they can figure it out. So I'm excited to work on that. It's kind of a research project we're doing with them. And hopefully that leads us somewhere so we can be more predictive with this. But otherwise, the number one way I'm predictive with it is I just think about, okay, in my area, if I had issues in the past... Do I have a lot of corn in my area? Like in our around us, it's probably 70% corn. So the odds are probably pretty high in that case. We're going to have rootworms when we've had a history, number one. And number two, a lot of people around us are raising corn. And then, like I said earlier in the show, if I'm going for higher yields, plus I've got a high price this year, I got a lot of dollars at risk. And I, we're not saying, okay, because the crop price is high, just go spend money willy-nilly. We're saying if you have a lot of risk out there, then you just have to factor this in and say, do I want to take that chance or do I not? And I can just tell you on our farm, I do not want to take that chance. But I'll say this, even SmartStacks by itself has not been enough. I'm super excited for the SmartStacks Pro because I believe that could be enough. But even then, if you have lots of rootworms, they still have to take a bite out of your plant or mini bites before they're going to die. Well, if you have lots of rootworms out there, they're still going to do some damage. So we have still seen gains when we're putting insecticide out plus 
even the best of the smart stacks. So I, I'm just trying to say here, I would really look at this thing hard this year especially because the crop price is so good. Look at what the cost is, what you have to do to get it out there. And I, I would encourage you, use insecticide on a very regular basis in your corn. It's going to help you. And then if you want to go smart stacks, I'm a proponent of that, especially on corn-on-corn corn acres or if there's a lot of corn in your area or if you've had some history of problems. The thing is, we want to keep bug populations down. If you can keep the population down, you don't usually have a disaster. Where we see most disasters are in areas where people aren't using much for insecticide or traits, and then things grow unchecked, the problem grows unchecked, and then all of a sudden, one year, it's like, oh my gosh, we lost 100 bushels. How in the world did this happen? We see the same thing, for example, with white grubs, because white grubs can live for many years, or at least uh, one type of white grub can live for many years. So I'm just trying to say, if you don't do things to keep stuff in check, then the population just builds and grows. And now we got a major, major problem. All right, let's get to the phone lines. We're talking corn today. So Jim from South Dakota, of course, wants to talk wheat. Come on, Jim, we're talking corn rootworms today. I'm just giving you a hard time. Thanks for calling in. Hey, be nice. You're a lot nicer. <laughs> I decided to have fun with you right. since we know you. Uh, hey, when right. you're thinking about wheat, you're talking about early. And, and honestly, what I've always heard in South Dakota is plant as early as the soils are fit. And, and I saw some guys out there the first part of March that were already throwing some stuff in the ground. And they, they were telling me, hey, I'm not worried about it because wheat doesn't really germinate till the soil temp gets closer to 40. So they said, you know, somewhere the old rule of thumb is always 36 to 40 degrees that it'll get started probably close to 40. The stuff I see from north of us, they say four degrees Celsius. So I don't know. It seems like there has to be a little bit of warmth in there to get things going and, and getting out there as soon as you can is just fine. It's, it doesn't have like the coolness the rootworms or some of those will cut worms and things will come like corn i guess we're talking about corn yeah you know, yeah well and, and plus you're usually putting out a million or more seeds so if you lose fifty thousand of them is it the biggest deal in the world probably not right okay and i see dakota lakes research is like 37 to 40 right now so it must be pretty much close then i guess yeah. what you're saying yeah Perhaps. time to roll as soon as soils are fit now did you miss the rain where you're at and and snow yeah they actually had zero I, I lived by parker and we had maybe a half inch we got we got three inches snow maybe too so we're sitting pretty good but out west at dakota lakes they were showing zero uh, and uh so at here or yep. right you know on 34 i think it is there man they could sure so, use it yeah it didn't get much but how much did you guys get Oh, we got a little bit up here. We got a few inches of snow, and it was kind of some wet stuff, so we'll we'll take what we can get. I, I don't know how much moisture it's going to be by the time it melts down, but um, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a lot. But, well, I'd say this, Jim. It wasn't a lot, but it was better than nothing. So, yeah, I guess we can look. I, I know the a lot of the uh, automatic readings that come, they read at 1 or 2 in the morning and send it. Well, a lot of the moisture came after that, so it's going to come on yeah. represented on two different days, I guess. It rained hard about 10.30 out by park and was lightning. And it's uh, been a while since we've had a nice, you know, lightning storm and rain. Our weather nice, station but... said we got the equivalent of a half an inch. 
So wow, that's the South Dakota that's, that's that's big that's for us right now. What amazing well, and big. I don't want the Darren wants rain. I don't I, want I rain want, now. I want I, some moisture dry. right now, Jim. We <laughs> need to start planting corn in a week and a half. We can't start planting corn if it's gonna keep raining and snowing and stuff. So it's time to go. Are you, Brian Brian, you'll be out there at midnight on the tenth, won't you? Going. Well we I mean, we were supposed to plant oats on our farm today, and now we can't do it because of this. So, I, I mean, I, I always well, pray for a drought. Now, I pray for a drought every year till May 1 in our area. That's what I want. That's yeah. when we typically get the best yields. If we can just avoid the moisture in April, we get the moisture in May and June and July and August, then it's fantastic. So, we'll see what happens. All right. Hey, What's Jim. What's the deal with the oh. oats? You're gonna plant oats, sir. Well, just just on uh, basically our parking lot and and uh, the field day area. So okay. Yep. Didn't Rob tell me that? Didn't your oats do like 190 bushels last year or something? I don't think that a- we averaged quite that, but it was pretty darn good. We fertilize pretty heavily around here, Jim, and try to do everything we can to raise a great crop, even if it's oats or corn or beans, whatever it is. Uh, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Stay tuned. To be right back. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day isn't until the last Thursday in July, but we invite you to mark your calendars today for our biggest event ever. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we invite you to attend the Ag PhD Field Day. The reason we invite farmers from across the country and around the world to our farm each summer is to say thank you. Ag PhD TV has had a brand new episode each week for 24 years, and we've been doing a radio show almost as long as well. At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more. And don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day. The first name and last word in weed control in heavier, higher organic soil types is Authority Edge Herbicide from FMC. This proprietary combination of actives outperforms the competition, delivering up to 14 more days of residual control. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Authority Edge herbicide may not be registered for sale or use in all states. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. 
With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. And we're talking about corn rootworms on the show, but also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Brian, one of the questions we get around corn rootworm is, okay, you guys talk about dry insecticide giving a little better control even than capture LFR, for example. But is it worth the investment to add the equipment? A lot of planters now don't have dry boxes on them, but you certainly could find smart box systems out there and those types of things. All right, let's run the math. So let's say that I can gain five extra bushels. And is it going to be exactly that? Of course it's not. But I'm just saying, well, let's just say that it is. Okay. And for this year, we'll figure $6 corn, that's $30 an acre. If I got 1,000 acres, that's $30,000. So you tell me, is it worth it or is it not? And it, that, it's pretty simple math. The question is, how much yield are you actually going to gain? It's going to vary depending on how much pressure you have, and then if you're also in conjunction using SmartStacks, or starting next year or the year after, SmartStacks Pro. Okay, so let's just say that the SmartStacks is going to do an 80% job. Well, then all of a sudden you go, man, am I really going to gain that much from the dry versus liquid? Probably not. If I'm using smart stacks, I'm probably going liquid. But if I'm not going to use smart stacks, let's say I want to go conventional corn or VT double or whatever it is, so I do not have a rootworm trait, then could I theoretically gain five bushels or more? Yes. Yes, I could versus capture LFR. Now, am I going to gain that all the time? No, you're definitely not. It just depends on how hard, how heavy that pressure is. So if you have heavy rootworm pressure, then that's probably where I'm going with the dry. If I have, like I say, light pressure, or I'm also using smart stacks or something else, then I'm probably going the liquid. But you know, every person, every situation is going to be a little different, so it's hard to make a blanket statement because. As we know, these things vary. The other thing that's going to vary is the crop price. So this year, sure, $6 corn. Next year, it might be 5 The year after that, it might be 3 I don't know. I, I'm hoping it's going to be great, but I don't know what it's going to be. Nobody does. So that's, that's always the risk you take when you're doing some of these things. All right, Brian, how about this one, oh, too? hey, I forgot to include one other thing. So some of the companies do have programs to help you buy the boxes. So that's a big, big consideration. Make sure you're looking at what the program is before you invest the money. We do get a lot of questions about timing in soybeans of volunteer corn removal. And I will say this. I dig up a lot of volunteer corn plant roots and what I see is rootworms on most of them. And we've gotten a lot of feedback from listeners across the country seeing the same thing. That, man, in my soybean fields, I have volunteer corn. And on the roots, I find rootworm larvae. What would be the best timing? Is it just kill it really short? Can we still do an effective job killing 
that volunteer corn. I know with Liberty, I've had better luck if I let that volunteer corn get just a little bit taller so that growing points up. But what what's your feeling on that? When's okay. too well, early to go on volunteer keep it, corn? Keep in mind, Liberty is a whole different product. Liberty is like Bassagran, Gramoxone, Bucktrill. That's different. So when we're talking about Clethodem or Fusilade, one of the volunteer corn killers, they go down and they kill the growing point. So they, they move in the plant. These other ones that I just mentioned, they do not. So they're more contact killers. So then, yes, it makes sense if you have more leaves to contact and, and the growing point is above ground at that point. But no, you want to go spray it when that volunteer corn is like an inch or two tall. Seriously. Fusilade, Clethodem, uh, sure 2 whatever, they're all going to work pretty well when that volunteer corn is an inch or too tall. When it starts getting a little bigger, that's when we start seeing separation that fusilade's a lot better than what clethodim is typically, and fusilade's a little bit better than a sure two. So I, I would just say if you want the best job on both rootworm and the volunteer corn, you want to spray when the volunteer corn's small. Now, the pushback that I get from a lot of people is they say, well, if I spray too early, then I'm probably going to have to spray twice. Yep, you probably are. But so what? It's cheap. Here's one other thing to consider. When the volunteer corn gets bigger, you have to increase the rate that you're using anyway. You're probably going to be out there spraying twice for other broadleaves like water, hemp, or kosher, whatever it is. So I'm just saying throw a little volunteer corn herbicide in the first time and a little bit the second time, and you're probably going to be good. And then you killed the host for the corn rootworms. Because the problem a lot of times is guys will say, well, I'm not going to spray on the first shot when I'm out there. I'm going to save my volunteer corn herbicide for the second shot. Well, by then, your rootworms have already done all their feeding. Now they're starting to pupate. They're not going to eat any of that volunteer corn now anyway. They don't need it now. So you let them, in effect, host for another whole year by delaying your volunteer corn spraying for a month. It just doesn't make sense. But, you know, once you understand what's going on, then hopefully you go, oh, okay, now I get it. I just need to spray my volunteer corn early. And if I have more, I need to spray it again late. Yes, and yes, and you'll be fine. And it only costs you just a little bit of money. Again, when we come back to volunteer or to corn rootworm insecticides and just BT everything, there's no rescue. So you want to have as low a pressure as possible because we don't even know really what's out there, what we're starting with. I mean, you might hit it with smart stacks and insecticide. You might still not do a good enough job. We always want lower pressure, whether it's a bug, it's weeds, it's anything. And you can reduce the pressure by spraying bugs in your bean fields and other crops. You can reduce the pressure because chances are there are going to be some rootworm beetles flying around there. And you can reduce the pressure by spraying your volunteer corn really early in the season. All right. Here's the other thing. You can kind of eliminate volunteer corn or really minimize that. Certainly, you can do a lot of things with your combine and settings and yep, all that kind of that. thing. But and harvesting, tillage. A little, harvesting a little bit early makes a big difference, too. We see so many guys that are trying to wait for 15 to 17% moisture before they harvest grain for yep. one reason or another, to take less dock if they're hauling straight to town yep. or so they don't have to do so much work drying, all those kinds of things. But one of the hidden costs of that is we have a lot more shatter at the head. We have a lot more 
corn kernels flying around out there and even yep. whole ears. Yep. And, and that yep. does definitely, there is a price to that. So I know yep. it seems That's like, right. well, just leaving it out there doesn't cost me anything. Nah, it's going to cost you in a little bit of lost yield and it's going to cost you in a little bit of more food out there for the rootworms, more volunteer corn that you got to kill. Right. Now I mentioned reduced tillage and I should clarify no till. When you go no till versus any amount of tillage, you will see in the no-till, you're going to have less volunteer corn. There's more that just, it's laying on the soil surface, doesn't in effect get planted by your tillage, and now you will have less volunteer corn. When we first started doing no-till, this is twenty over 25 years ago, we were tilling around all the field borders because we would have compaction. I mean, we're running trucks out there and everything, and we thought, well, we got to make sure we till that up because we got ruts and all that, and it was fine. But you could see it right to the line where we did the tillage. And the first year, I just remember going, what the heck happened on our end rows? Why do we have so much volunteer corn there? Well, it's because we planted the seed with the tillage. Yeah, a lot of things go into this. And and like so many things in farming, it's not just, well, there's corn rootworms flying around out there and that's the problem. No, there's a lot of things we can do and we can manage in our system to try to reduce how much pressure that we're going to have from, from corn rootworms, no doubt about that. Our phone lines are open if you have an agronomic question for us at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always send us an email, radio at agphd.com. And we had a caller on earlier, Jim, who was asking how early could he plant wheat and when is wheat going to start germinating? We, we get a lot of questions about that in corn, too, as far as, man, how early are you guys going to go? And we mentioned that April 10th timing just from the standpoint of, that's our crop insurance date here, and that's about as early as you can safely do things if soil conditions are fit. But that was kind of the debate where Brian was unhappy that we got some rain today, which I'm not unhappy at all. We needed it so bad it's going to soak in as soon as the sun we comes out. We don't need it. We do not need the rain As soon as the sun now. comes out, our soils are going to be fit in no time. Whatever. I don't I don't want rain now. It doesn't matter. We can't change it anyway. <laughs> no, but, no, no, we can't do anything about it either way. But I'll just choose to be happy that we get a little bit of moisture out there. And yes, now it can get sunny and warm and, and everything will be wonderful heading towards planting season. All right, we'll be back uh, talking more about corn rootworms, also tackling some of your agronomic questions. And you still have time to get in at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can always email us, once again, radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva AgriScience, the newest premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like... Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com soy. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? 
Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle, and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at farmshopmfg.com. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We are taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD here in the Morton studio. And we got a question that came in from Brad about burn down uh, using three pre's and roundup and adding some aim in there for some additional kick uh, along with array. If you guys are familiar with that one. Yes, we are familiar with that product. Uh, he said, what do you think about adding in an oil? Wait, explain. What's a ray? Well, that's drift control. And when we look at the different types of uh, drift control products that are out there, uh, that's that's one of the newer generation. It's been out now for probably 10 years, uh, but but it, it provides some good drift control. And that's uh, if you're worried about drift, I guess that's a, a good thing to do. To me, I, I worry about that hurting our coverage just a little bit. But you have to dial in that rate and, and see what you're going to get out of that and make sure you're getting a good spray pattern and good coverage and so forth. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of folks will start with maybe a half rate of something like array and then, then work their way up depending on what results they're seeing out in the field. So do you have a problem with using drift control in that mix, Brian? I mean, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what you're worried about when you're putting a pre-emerge herbicide out. I don't really see the point of that, but nope, nope. I, I don't know why you're using that. So I, I wouldn't, but yeah. Now, anyway, in, in terms okay. of just trying to get more burn, will an MSO or a crop yes. oil add more burn than NS? Yeah, definitely will. Yes. And oftentimes when we're spraying things when it's cold weather, like it's been fairly cool this spring, and certainly it's going to be cooler than when you're spraying a lot of your post-emerge things later on this year, that's probably a good idea to add in some oil. Yep. Yes. Yep. So we would advise you to do that. 
All right. Uh, I got a question from Travis. He said, I am an agronomist working with a customer who wants to control Johnson grass in his pasture and CRP ground. What could you use to control this? I've seen products like Outrider or Plateau be used, but just wondering what you guys would recommend and if you've ever seen anything to clean up Johnson grass in this situation. Okay. So, yes, Outrider, absolutely, we would advise you to to use that. That's probably about the best thing. There's a product, uh, Imazapic, Impose is the name of the product. That That's labeled, for example, in Bermuda grass. So Pastora would be another one that's labeled. Now, believe it or not, some people will actually occasionally try to use glyphosate. Can you do that? Sure. You're just going to ding up your your grass. I mean, the, the crop, whatever, whatever pasture grass we're talking about. So I guess the big thing is just understanding what grass you have for your pasture, and you can look it up on the labels. But again, these products that we're talking about here, there's Impose, there's Outrider, there's Pastora, and then you mentioned Plateau. Now, is Plateau going to be real great on Johnson grass? Probably not. So I, I, I mean, you can try it. And hopefully it's going to give you some activity. I would just say it's it's not going to be the greatest thing ever, but I mean that's that's worth a shot. And again, it depends a little bit on what grass we're talking about as your pasture grass. You'd also have to make sure that you're using a real good strong rate. It's going to take the highest rate of any of these herbicides to even suppress your Johnson grass. Johnson grass is a tough perennial weed, but yeah, I'd I give it a shot. If you're having problems with it, you can start trying some of these different products. There certainly are several labeled. All right. Uh, thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. Get this one from LMR who said, I am in India and we are raising 20 acres of potatoes. I'm curious, what would you recommend for fertilizer in terms of macro and micronutrients? We plan to apply fertility before potato cultivation. Hey, thanks, Alamar. We really appreciate the, the question, and good luck to you raising your potatoes this year. First of all, we've got an app called the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App that's a free download, and I would suggest downloading the app. You can type in potatoes, and you can type in what your yield goal is, and it will show you exactly what you need for um, the macro and micronutrients in terms of uh, pounds per acre or uh, metric uh, measurements as well. You can take a look at kilograms per per ton of yield goal, that kind of thing as well. So, yep, check out the app. It's free to download and free to use. You can type in whatever your yield goal is going to be on those 20 acres and and figure out exactly what you need for nutrients. And I agree with you. I think that's a good strategy. Try and get what you need out there in the soil so it can be available for the potatoes throughout the season. Uh, Brian had a, another question come in. I hear you guys are going to be planting alfalfa this year on your farm for the first time in a long time. Just wondering why you're going to alfalfa. Is this a higher profit crop than corn and soybeans? Also curious if you would share your weed, insect, and disease control program, and then what you plan to do between cuttings in terms of fertility or other inputs. Okay, so we've got a local dairy that wants some alfalfa, and we want to do some more research on alfalfa too. So our tentative plan here is we're going to plant about 500 acres of alfalfa. And you might say, oh my goodness, you're trying something on 500 acres? Well, we, we have like 3,500 acres of cropland, so... 
yeah, I, I know it. There's a little bit of risk. It's there, not like nobody raises alfalfa around us. Right, there's there's right. plenty of alfalfa exactly. raised around us, so yes. we're we're able to not something uh, brand new. We've yeah, raised and, alfalfa, before. and we also happen to be agronomists who get to work with a lot of farmers, so right. we kind of know what other people are doing to, to manage alfalfa. Right. And so yeah, it's okay. not not like a new thing. So that's that's part of the reason. Second reason is the economics look pretty decent with it, so hopefully we will do okay. Third reason is spread our workload out a little bit as we're farming a few more acres, then this is nice because you don't have to go plant at the same time, harvest at the same time, spray at the same time in a lot of cases. In terms of fertility, the big thing is we have tried to build up our ground here in the last few years, especially if I go back to the fall of 2020 when fertilizer was cheap, we put on a boatload of P and K on any of our fields or any of our areas in fields that were low. So we've gotten most things built up. Another really, really big thing for alfalfa is you've got to have that pH near 7. If the pH isn't near 7, you're in trouble. So we've limed. We have put on a lot of P and K. We've made sure our micronutrients are pretty good, like boron. People a lot of times talk about boron with alfalfa. Our boron levels now are pretty good. We've built up manganese. We've built up zinc. So we, we've already done a lot of this stuff. So in terms of in-between cuttings, what are we going to do? I'm not exactly sure. We're going to try some different things out and we'll see what what helps us. But when we already have high fertility in the soil, I'm not nearly as concerned about what we do later on. Now, certainly there are leachables like boron and sulfur. So if we're getting lots of rain, we're going to have to be adding those. But I don't know about the P and the K. P and K don't move very well in the soil, so the odds of us doing phosphorus are really slim. The odds of us doing potassium are maybe a little better. We might try some of that. But that's kind of what we're going to do in terms of fertility. Otherwise, weed control, we're going to start with Eptam, half a gallon of Eptam down, and then post-emerge, we're just going to see what comes. We only have a few choices. You basically have Buctrel, a low-rate of Buterac, or Pursuit, or Raptor, I guess. So Pursuit and Raptor, virtually the same thing. So you got, oh, and then clethodim if you have grass escapes. That's it. I mean, you just don't have many herbicide options. In terms of bugs, we'll probably be spraying at some point in between every cutting. I don't know exactly when, but we have so many bug issues in our in alfalfa fields around us that we know we're going to have to be spraying some insecticide. So I think that's the whole plan, and I think that's I think that answered all his questions. All right, thanks for the question. I had another one come in, Brian. You've talked about supply issues throughout the season. Just wondering if you have any updates uh, per your advice. We have everything at home that we're going to need this year, except right. for a few things like foliar insecticide and fungicide that we may or may not need. We're hearing others in the area struggling to get certain inputs. Just curious what the overall supply looks like. Supply looks a little bit better today than it did a few months ago. It's still not great. We're going to struggle a little bit getting through the season. Roundup or glyphosate has been a little bit better. So I, there are many things that I'm I'm happy with. I'm not happy at all with the glufosinate or Liberty situation. That one's really bad. And BSF is in trouble. They just don't have a lot of supply on things. And so because BSF has run short and they're the number one fungicide company, well, now that's forcing retailers and farmers to buy other brands. So now some of those are running short as well. So I did not believe after last year's poor fungicide season I mean, we had drought, and so a lot of people didn't spray fungicide in the Midwest. I, I thought, oh, there's all kinds of carryover. We'll, we'll never run short this year. Well, then commodity prices went up. 
and a lot of people are super optimistic about their crop, and then BSF runs out of stuff, and I'm going, oh, no. <laughs> so there are some fungicides now that are starting to sell out. So even though you don't need the fungicide or insecticide right now, or you're not sure, I'd probably still get some, have it on hand, and just make sure you can return it later if you need to. All right, thanks for that question, and thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.